I'm Roxanne Cody, and welcome to Just the Right Book. We are joined today on Just the Right Book podcast by Sarah Dunn, the author of The Arrangement. Uh, She is not only an author, but a television writer. She's also written The Big Love, which got rave reviews and Secrets to Happiness. She is the writer and creator of the hit ABC sitcom, An American Housewife, and she's the member of an all-female TV writers group called The Ladies Room, which I I love the title of that. (laughs) So the arrangement, I'm going to have to start with the sort of easy question um, so that everybody has a bit of background. The arrangement is about a couple in a suburban New York community, almost suburban rural-ish community who uh, are in their 30s and live a life that looks like a lot of lives being lived in those communities. Things going very well, but there's this little thing that sets into their marriage and they decide to have an open marriage. That's a little quick synopsis. So the easy, irresistible question, although we know novels are not autobiographical, is what was the inspiration behind the arrangement, Sarah Dunn? <laughs> you know, it's it's funny because um, I was actually at a dinner party with the, up in the town that I live in um, last weekend, and, you know, I've had to say over and over again, you know, that my husband and I don't have an open marriage. We never have had an open marriage. So I have to tell that to my mother, to everyone yeah. else. Um, and, but, but one of the couples at the dinner party said, you know what, there's just always going to be that question mark over your head. Yeah. <laughs> It's going to be hard to get rid of. It's going to be hard to get rid of. Um, you know what happened? I had the idea. I, had, I was in an interesting situation. I had moved from the Upper West Side of New York out to, to a town about an hour outside of New York City. Just the perfect idyllic place, happy with two children. And I, as a novelist, I was searching around for an idea. And um, I really didn't want to write about a divorce or about, like, a child dying. That seems to me like where they you sort of end up going uh, sometimes when you're writing these, you know, sort of a domestic novel. And um, we had some friends come over for dinner, and they were talking about embarking on something like this. And uh, I just took that little seed, and um, and then I just decided to play with it. And and it, it was it was a very fun. Um, Concept. It was a very fun conceit. When you're ha- when you're happy in your marriage, it's actually kind of a fun thing to think about. I can see that if you know maybe ten years further along into my marriage, maybe I wouldn't have felt so so free to be able to write about it. But um, but that's where it came from. And then and then once I, and I of course I talked to my husband about it. And and the couple in the in the book make up a list of rules. And so I actually sat my husband down and we made up our what our rules would be because I sort of wanted to see what his rules would be and stuff like that. So. Um, it was uh, the, the main premise of, the, of their arrangement is that it's only supposed to last for six months. And I just thought that that was like the right amount of time where you could sort of have a little bit of fun but come back and maybe not destroy your marriage. But the book um, has a sort of a different maybe tone than that. Tone than that. So in real life, in real life, yes. not in the novel, yes. do you think an arrangement like that one could work? That that you could compartmentalize that and have sort of the benefit or detriment of that arrangement not corrode a marriage? I don't think in real life you could. I, yeah. mean, I think, you know, people have tried various things and people try a lot of different 
things that maybe work for a while and then stop working. Um, but, but you know what? I, I actually, ha- having written this book, everybody now talks to me about their own open marriage or what happened to their marriage. You know, like, like mm. I've heard a lot of really bad stories about yeah, open I marriage. Bet. So, um, so, so I definitely can say from this side of the fence, you know, you just like not, not do not try this at home if you if you want to stay married. Well, you know, the thing that I thought, I mean, uh, by the way, if I haven't said this before, I just think the arrangement is just absolutely delicious. I just think you did such a fantastic job, Sarah. You obviously have a pretty clear, cynical eye about some people that operate in these kinds of communities. But I thought that your understanding of kind of the silences in marriage mm-hmm. and the uh, capacity to maintain a kind of connection and energy while you're dealing with life and your own feelings of, you know, adequacy or inadequacy or amusement were really pitch perfect. Well, thank you. So just to clear the record, I'm married 48 years. Okay. Um and we never had an open marriage. I don't, we've never even had a conversation about an open marriage. But I wonder, as I uh, read about all the people you talk about, has there been a problem with people in your community thinking that you're talking about them and they're being offended in some way or curious in some way? Yeah, you know what? It, it, it was very strange for me because I had um, this book coming out about the same time as this television show, both of which are very autobiographical, and the setting is pretty autobiographical. And so I was very worried um, because I have a lot of close girlfriends, and I was worried about some of that. You know, my, my theory is that when you write a book, um, you kind of can't worry about hurting people's feelings. But it, I will say in this case, I did give the book to two close friends of mine who live up here, and I said, if there's anything that's going to really hurt anybody, at least let me know, and then I can make the decision about whether I want to take it out or not. So that was my own way, and I won't tell you if I took stuff out or didn't, but um, I, I just didn't want to hurt somebody for no reason if, if, if the story didn't need it or the plot didn't need it or, or something like that. So, But I will say this. When I wrote my first novel, um, I kept getting stuck at, with this idea of hurting people and like mm. it, or stealing people's stories or stealing people's lives. And so I, I developed this thing where I just wrote every, every time I, I would have a worry, I would write it down on a piece of paper and stick it into a coffee can, like ask my sister about this, you know, page, whatever. Right. You know, that really did work to clear my engines because I just, well, I'll, I'll deal with it at the end. But then um, I finished the book and in a, in a move across the country, I actually lost the coffee can. <laughs> oh, well. But that actually, to me, is is the best way to write. You know, the details are significant in a book. You know, people say, well, just change the details. You know, instead of making him an orthodontist, make him a podiatrist. And instead of making him have this color eyes, like, but sometimes you lose something when you change all the details, you know, and, and so I don't, I, I love details. I love to go through life looking at, looking for details. So, um, so I'm sort of, so I'm sort of timid about changing too many things. Yeah, because I do think, you know, to your point, that I could see, you know, like many women, I have extraordinary friendships uh, that have, you know, sort of the lifeblood of my life over these Mm -hmm. years. And I think that's true for a lot of women. And we share a lot of information over time and you know who you can trust and you know who you slightly edit up for. But I can imagine that 
you're the sort of vessel for a lot of these stories. And how do you resist using their stories? Well, the truth is I do use a lot of their stories. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, that, right. It's not even always the details. It's also just the way, the kind of the struggles people have and the mm. way they're thinking and what their marriages are like and what reality is like, you know, the non-Facebook reality, the non-Instagram reality, but sort of like you have these windows into people into what's really going on, and then I think that helps me a lot with things like plot and what could conceivably happen. And, and also, the truth is, you know, people do crazy things. Yeah, time. isn't that, boy, I tell you, the older I get, the harder it is for me to be surprised. Mm-hmm. You know, things yeah. that you think are really, nah, that can't be, yeah, 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 they can. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and I do feel like having that, you know, being close to people gives you that feeling of like, oh, yeah, this, you know, people people make some strange choices and things that end up differently than you think, you know. <laughs> you, you, you can see, you, you see one thing you think is going to turn out one way and it, it goes the other way. So um, all of my friends are still talking with good. me, and actually my parents are too, which is great. All right, that's oh. good, Sarah. I can take that off my worry list yeah. for you. Yes, you can. <laughs> Sarah, the other critical element in the arrangement is that the couple who come up with this uh, open marriage have a special needs son, which adds a level of responsibility and burden to how they both can operate. Mm-hmm. Um, is that proximate to your life? Yes, it is. It is. I have I have two children and my, um, my son who's eight now. He is definitely on the spectrum. He's been diagnosed as, as autistic. Although I will say he's he's a very high functioning for somebody with autism, but we still have ongoing challenges with him. You know, I watch how the couple in the book um, copes with it, and the dad ends up being remarkably playful and has the capacity to work with his son in a way that was just very dear and very admirable. How, how, how do you navigate that, which must sometimes seem pretty exhausting? Yeah. You know, it's funny because when I was working on this book, it was really kind of the hardest probably three years of our life with our son. And um, I was lucky because I had help. I had a, a nanny who was trained with special needs children. And so I had a lot of help because otherwise I would have never been able to continue working. Um, but I also have an amazing husband. And my husband used to be the editor of the New York Observer. He's a, you know, esteemed journalist, but he's also um, taken on just a tremendous amount of stuff. And as far as the playful thing is, we we both have raised our son with a ton of playfulness, which is one of the reasons I think he has such a sense of humor. I'm not sure. In the book, he certainly says funny things, the character of Wyatt does. But my own son, is actually he actually has a, a great, he knows when something's funny. But mm-hmm. I think it's because we've been joking around with him, you know, from the very beginning. When I, when I was writing this book, I was really hoping that some woman who has, a, you know, a child with special needs, and, you know, I would just remember sitting in the waiting room for all of this therapies, you know, and, and just you sit alone out there inside there and you can't think about anything. And you're, I just ho- sort of hope a woman like that will read my book and be like, oh my gosh, this woman knows what I am going yeah. through. You know, this is because it's really hard to understand. Even sometimes, even for me, I, I'm, you know, I still, I'm still shocked occasionally about like, oh my gosh, this is not ending. Well, you, you know? know, the other thing I thought it did is I think it made me, and I think it would make a reader be much more understanding 
of what this looks like for a family where there's a special needs child. I mean, it really kind of informed me and made me think differently. And I thought you did a good job of showing, you know, that the characters had about Wyatt Uh that relate to any of us, like wanting him to be invited to a party or wanting him to have a friend and trying to arrange things to make them work. You know, parents do that all the time for their kids if they have a shy kid, you know, not a special needs kid. But I thought it did help me think a little bit differently. Not only would I imagine it's comforting to someone who was dealing with it, but I, I think it was a real service to the rest of us. Oh, thank you. What else do you hope someone would take away from reading the book, Sarah? Because there's so many different threads in it. Well, you know, I, I would say um, another thing that I was, I was sort of dealing with when I was writing this was that feeling of becoming invisible as mm. a woman. And um, I remember so clearly I had, you know, because I had been so intensively parenting and, and so, and I moved sort of out to the woods a little bit and, and I went to a, a cocktail party in New York City and I remember talking to some, I was in a group of people talking and I just remember being completely ignored by my, you know, just, just, and just feeling like, oh wait, I used to be, you know, this cute woman and now I'm a mom and uh, I, I just felt kind of erased and I think that um, that that's a little bit of what the character of Lucy is going through, that she just has all of a sudden, you know, she just has lost that feeling that anyone, that she has a spark or that anyone sees her spark. And the other thing is that I feel at least that this couple doesn't start out with like a troubled marriage. Right. Part of what, part of what is so scary about the book is you're, there's a lot of like, don't do it. <laughs> like, stop, stop. You sort of root for them to stop, uh, you know, like that this is, they're going to get in over their heads. And um, I felt like that was kind of just the folly that humans get into. That was another thing, you know, because you sort of can get to a, you can get to a pretty stable place in a relationship and then just people do strange things. (laughs) Yeah. The way in which each of them experienced the open marriage that both represented something that you could imagine And I don't want to have any spoilers, but I liked the way you didn't make it so neat. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I will say that writing it for a very long time, I didn't know how the book would end. I actually, I really didn't. And and it was, I actually have a very, personally as a writer, a very high tolerance for that kind of ambiguity. Because I think it was my third novel. So I, I do know that something works in my subconscious that sort of makes it work. But there was a lot of time in the book where I was i was just like the reader. I was like, I don't know. Well, who, sh- who should be with who? I'm not exactly sure. Right. And I even had, um, you know, I've even had girlfriends read and say, like, you know, I think Lucy should leave her husband. I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> really? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm like, wait a minute. This is too close to my own life for you to say that. But, yes, I, I think that's definitely true. It's um. Sarah, go back to this um, statement you made about at that time in your life, you were also dealing with the idea of feeling erased. So do you, you know, I hear that a lot from women as they're older, that, you know, Uh we become invisible and sort of meaningless in a different way. Uh But you're young. And so do you think the feeling of invisibility is more related to leaving New York City, to aging, to being a mother? I, I think for- 
for me, it was um, a little bit of aging, a little bit of uh, just honestly letting myself go, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and um, and then and some of it, um, some of it being a mother, you know. I mean, you know, having so much of your energy directed towards your children, um, it, it, you know, I I don't know. I think that it's it's necessary. I think from an evolutionary standpoint that that this happens, but um, it still doesn't necessarily it doesn't make it easy. Um, and, and you know what, I'm sure there are deeper levels of being invisible in a few years I will hit again and again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and perhaps that's something just for me to think about as an artist. You know, there can be some freedom in that, too. I do like to be able to sit down on the floor at the airport and just be like, guess what, I'm just a lady sitting on the floor at the airport. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know? well, well, I do think, you know, you hear a lot about feeling invisible when women who have had big careers decide to spend some years at home raising their children and they have that first instance of somebody at a dinner party asking them what they do and they sort of stumble over an answer because they don't like the answer or they think that's not what somebody wants to hear. But I love that example that you just gave of sitting on the floor in the airport that sometimes our capacity, which is hard to let go of how people think about you and just let you get driven by how what's good for you, how okay. you're thinking about it. It's probably one of the biggest lessons we all kind of struggle with. Yes. How different is writing for television from writing a novel? They're so different. It's really crazy to be lucky enough to do both. I love a novelist. It suits my biorhythms. I love being alone. I love taking walks. I love not having to answer my phone. You know, I, that's what I love. Um, and television, especially being the executive producer of a network TV show, which is what is my now profession, is just completely the opposite. It's everybody coming at you, asking you questions. You have to make well, a, know, million decisions, a million right? decisions, right? And to the point where I really have difficulty making ordinary decisions now. I'm on a break for two, for two months from the show, and I'm just like I don't want to. I don't want to even decide what we're having for dinner. So television is, of course, much more of a team effort. So I find myself, you know, creatively having to just protect certain parts of the show and really keep my own vision strong. It's actually nowhere near as satisfying as as sitting alone and writing a book. I will say. What do you love about it? Um, right now I don't love anything but the money. <laughs> <laughs> well, money's good. There's nothing wrong with that, Sarah. I know, but I mean, that's my honest answer. I'll tell you what I like about it, because I don't love it. Um, what I like about it best, my job now kind of pulls on every part of me. Like, I mm. have to deal with child actors and kind of almost in a mothering role. I'm, I deal with a lot of personalities. I deal with storytelling and editing and casting. And, you know, your best day, you really feel like every moment you're just executing. You're just getting it done. Yeah. Most of the parts that I love about my like, like, for example, I, I really couldn't read. I didn't really read a book all year. And I get re- very jealous of my husband. I see these books everywhere. And I'm just like, when are you reading? When do you have time to read? Because, I, because it takes up all your time. It takes up, you know, most of your brain. And it's, um, it's tough. It's a tough job. And, and do you, can you imagine that you'll turn American Housewife into a novel? No, I would not. I will not do that. What will probably happen is the arrangement will become uh, a limited television series. <laughs> That's probably more likely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, American Housewife, the, the main character is really based on me, and um, but the book feels much, much different than the show. That's for sure. 
I do think that situation comedies don't leave room necessarily for the kind of nuance that yeah. novels give you. You know, you have to, I, I guess, I mean, yeah. I, I'm no, not no, a writer, it, but it, you have to go for sort of the broad impression. The form of, of a sitcom is very, it's like a sonnet. You know what I mean? You sort of, you can't break a lot of the rules. You mm. just want to do it. And so on one hand, it's, it's nice once you get that down, you can kind of make it over and over again. Um, but, you know, for me, that becomes less interesting creatively. For most of my career, you know, I, I quit television um, when I was about 30 uh, to write novels. And then I've written TV pilots sort of along the way to help pay the bills. And this just happens to be one of one, the only one, the only TV pilot that I ever wrote that actually sort of made it and is going on for a second. And so... You have to be kind of happy for your good fortune, but it's not what I've built my career driving yeah. for. Well, know? and you know, the thing is that I that you come to appreciate, you know, we hopefully live long lives and there's lots of room to be this now and that then. Yes, that's true. And I do sometimes make myself feel happy thinking, well, it was very hard to write a first novel. And then I had this idea, well... A lot of people can write one novel, but not very many people can write two. So then mm. I had that in my head. And then I, then I, now I've done my third novel. And so I sort of feel like, okay, I could probably write a fourth novel. There's not like, you know what I mean? So, so I take some comfort in that. You know, I'm not saying anyone will pay me for it or that anyone will read it, but at least I could, you know, conceivably do it. So, Well, Sarah, we're not related. So um, people can take this as an independent voice. I would say you're pretty multifaceted. You know, I think the success of American Housewife and the success of your novels would be evidence of that. You don't you don't accidentally fall into those things that many times. You know, you just don't. It just doesn't. You know, you, you you're done being a one hit wonder. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's, that's very nice. That's very, but it's that's, true. That's a good point. <laughs> um so we're joined by Sarah Dunn, uh, the author of the new, absolutely wonderful novel called The Arrangement. Sarah, let me ask you this uh, last question that I love to ask because I do believe books change uh, lives. What's the book that changed your life? Wow. Um, you know, I'm going to give um, a, a self-help book. This is, you know, not trendy, but I will. But this is actually probably the truth. Is the Artist Way by mm. Julia Cameron? Yeah. And that that book. I started reading it when I was a comedy writer in my late twenties, and it's what gave me the courage to write fiction. And uh, I, I, you know, I still generally write my morning pages. Anybody who knows Julia work knows what those are. And so that that is the book that really probably changed my life the most. Um, mm. Yeah, you make me want to pick it up. You know, I've never read it. We've sold it. Yeah. I certainly know it, but I've never read it. Even as a young person, I was like resistant to it. I was like, I don't believe in this. I don't believe in this kind of stuff. But um, I had a lot of blocks about writing, um, and somehow that helped me get past them. So, well, that's, that's great. That's going to have to be my answer. So, Sarah, thank you so much for joining us on Just the Right Book podcast. It's been great having a conversation with you, and many thanks for all the ways in which you keep readers and, and viewers happy. I look forward to watching your your next books, your next TV show. Whatever you do, I'm going to be watching for. Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. 
Thanks again to Sarah Dunn. Her book, The Arrangement, is available now. Don't forget to subscribe to Just the Right Book podcast on iTunes. And while you're there, rate and review us. And remember to be part of Just the Right Book's book club. Pick up a copy of Elizabeth Strout's Anything is Possible and reach out to us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. You can win a chance to discuss the book on the Just the Right Book podcast in the weeks to come. Just the Right Book podcast is produced by Collisions, a division of CRN International. Thanks to our producer, Christina Torres, and our sound engineer, Pat Keogh. Our original music was created by Mark Berman. Thank you all for listening.